the 411 from 406. My name is Chewy, and I am joined once again by my brother from another month, Mr. Pip. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm super excited to be here tonight for the previously promised Halloween episode of our podcast. I, I think it's probably fair to say that this, this episode will once again be be uh, sponsored by our good friends at scaretissue.com. <laughs> yep, our very handsome, um, very capable friends at Scare Tissue. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Pip and I co-founded a website called scaretissue.com back in 2012, something like that. It's been yeah, a while. About that time frame, I and, think. Uh, yeah, and that, and that was kind of a passion project for ours. We both we both love the, the horror movie genre. And uh, yeah, and so that's that's kind of been been one of those things. And and hey, it's it's uh, it's October. And there is new horror movies on the horizon. And in 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 the very recent past, and so we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about Halloween Kills, the latest entry into the Halloween franchise tonight. I'm super excited about this. This is a movie that I have been waiting to see for a very long time, for at least two years now, because they started filming this movie back in 2019, right before the pandemic hit. And I believe they finished beforehand, but a lot of the uh, post-production work had to be delayed because of the pandemic and everything. So this movie got delayed multiple times for a total of maybe about a year and a half before they finally decided to release it in October of this year. I was going to say, I, it, when it kind of first came on my radar, I thought it was supposed to be released like last October, like last Halloween season, and they, and they yep. pushed it an entire year. When they filmed it, they filmed this and the sequel to it back to back, right? Which was Halloween Ends? Is that well, correct? no, actually, that's not correct. So okay. this, the story for the movie that we're going to talk about, Halloween Kills, does take place almost immediately following, or it does take place immediately following the events in the 2018 Halloween movie. Halloween Ends has actually not even started filming yet. So they have just finished the script work on it, and it's going through its final approval stages. They are scheduled to start shooting the movie in January of 2022. So that movie has not even begun filming. So, mm, okay. And, and there's going to be a lot of interesting aspects of this movie. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it as we kind of go through Halloween kills, but the, the news that has been leaked to this point by uh, director, David Gordon Green, who did Halloween kills, the 2018 Halloween and the upcoming Halloween ends has told everybody that this next movie is going to take place four years after the events of this movie. So there's going to be a time gap between what happens in Halloween Kills to Halloween Ends, which is very different from what we're going to talk about tonight, this movie immediately following the events in the 2018 movie. Now, was was this one then filmed subsequent, like right after the 2018 Halloween? I think it was really close. I don't, I don't remember the exact production schedule, but yeah, I mean, you can tell pretty much by the footage that some of the footage that was used I think was either filmed at the end of the 2018 movie or shortly after that one was done, because there is okay. a lot of, there's enormous amount of continuity in this movie that carries over from the previous one. A lot of the actors 
and a lot of the characters do carry over. So they're, they're very closely tied together. Okay. So, so this one was released both in theaters as well as on the Peacock Network, which is, I, I suppose, is, is something that kind of big movie houses are doing these days. You know, with the pandemic, obviously, I think the, the first kind of big budget film that did this, what was probably, was it, was it a Wonder Woman film? Was it that Wonder Woman 1984? Was that like the, the first kind of big budget one that did this? Potentially. I mean, I feel like Disney Plus might have done that a little bit before the okay. Wonder Woman movie, but Disney Plus also has their, I don't know what it's called, Disney Premiere or something, Premiere Plus, whereas yeah. you have to be subscribed to the service and you have to pay $30 if you wanted to see the new Mulan movie or one of the other new releases. Black but, Widow or, yeah. Yeah, something like that. But so Wonder Woman was one of the first ones that I think became really popular, but I don't remember if Wonder Woman, I don't think it had much of a theatrical release. I think it did actually come out what, around Christmas last year. And I think that they tried to do that, but you know, it was still right in the middle of the pandemic. And I don't think a lot of theaters were even open at this time. Okay. Okay. So this movie, along with some of the previously re released HBO films. So HBO max has been on a big kick about all the Warner brothers movies and is featuring uh, day of release movies on their streaming platform. So the upcoming Matrix movie is going to be released both in theaters and simultaneously on HBO Max, the new Suicide Squad movie, uh, something else that I'm most certainly forgetting. There were, uh, there were a couple of them. There were about four or five of them that were big theater movies that were planned to be released simultaneously with, uh, uh, on, the, on streaming platforms this year. So this is one that is definitely falling in line with that. The interesting thing about this is that I don't think, I, I don't remember who made this movie, well, Blumhouse or whoever is responsible for distributing it, I think just sold it to NBC. I don't think they have a specific business relationship other than that. So okay. it wasn't like, it wasn't like NBC made the movie and so they put it on their streaming platform. I think the people who made the movie decided to sell it. That's my understanding. I, I could be wrong on that though. Okay. Yeah, so so I had when this when this was originally announced, I had every intention of getting out and going and, and seeing this on the theaters. Again, you know, I, I'm a big believer in kind of giving my money to the movie houses. I think that's you know, I think that's important to to support film and to to support that kind of thing. That being said, my weekend this past weekend was kind of a, a train wreck, and I already have the Peacock Network because the, that's where the WWE Network is. So I sat down and I've I've watched this. I guess maybe two, one and a half, two times at this point, once all the way through, and then kind of another time kind of in bits and pieces, both time on, both times on the Peacock Network. How, how, uh, how about yourself? So I actually did manage to get to the theater to see this one. My wife and I had a date night and I actually convinced her to go to a scary movie, which is not something that's especially easy to do in my house, but she was game. So we went and saw this movie and I'm I'm like you, I'm a big proponent of seeing this the way that it was meant to be seen. I wanted the studio to get my money. I wanted to be able to experience it with all the all the sound and all the visuals that it was meant to uh, be experienced in. And I got to say, my experience is overall, I thought was really good in terms of I got to see it in the theaters and then I got to come home and watch it on digital as well. So I've done both platforms at this point. And for someone like myself, who participates in this podcast, it made it really easy to, to be able to experience it the way I want to experience it. But I'm the kind of person who, when I go see a movie the first time, like I never really retain anything. Like I'm just mm -hmm. sort of riding the ride and trying to enjoy the experience, but I'm not really picking apart the things that I like and I don't like because there's so much information that's coming at me that I'm trying to process. 
So watching it a second time really makes a big difference for me in order to really figure out how I feel about the movie and some of the choices that they make. And that's why I really like the experience of being able to go to the theater and have that experience watching it and listening to it. And then I can, can come home and kind of watch it and pick it apart and, and try to be more of a critic with it. Well, so, so speaking of critics, I, I just took a peek at, uh, at Rotten Tomatoes, which, which personally, I don't, I don't put a ton of stock into generally, but I figured just for kind of for the sake of, of being complete at this point, the tomato meter is 39% and the audience score is 70%. So um, I, I will be interested to see how kind of uh, you and I come out, where we come out on that. I am really kind of excited about this because we really haven't talked about this. We've, we've just real briefly on opening night, we've shared a couple texts, but, uh, but we really haven't gone into our thoughts. We really haven't gone into what we like and don't like. And so, so I'm really, uh, I'm interested to see kind of what you like and what you don't like and, and kind of how this all plays out. Yeah. And you're right. It did get a lot of mixed reviews and a lot of them were not terribly favorable. So I was really interested to see how my expectations would live up to it. And I guess at the end of the day, you have to consider this is a sequel of a movie that stems from a, a franchise. I guess it started in the 70s, but it's it's probably most known for being an 80s slasher horror movie franchise, mm-hmm. which historically they don't get good reviews. They never get good <laughs> reviews. So I kind of went into it knowing that it got mixed reviews, but thinking to myself, well, that's pretty much par for the course for the horror movies that I like to see. So it didn't really, it didn't really make me too scared, for lack of a better term, yeah. going into this movie as to whether I would enjoy it or not. You know, it's funny you said that. So, so I, I saw the same kind of criticisms that you did, like specifically on the scare tissue Twitter feed. And I kept seeing like this, this kind of one criticism that was like, oh, the, you know, the plot is this and the acting is that and the, you know, like they're complaining about the plot and the acting and, and like, to your point, it's an 80 slasher franchise. And I, and I, and I just, and my response to that was like, have you never seen a fucking Halloween movie? Like that's, that's what these movies are. It's like, it's blood and gore. Like they are not quote films, right? They, they are for the most part, horror movies, slasher movies, especially in this franchise, especially when you get past those first couple films, are, are not what I would consider great films. They're really enjoyable. So yeah, it's at, at least on, on that point, we agree hundred percent. All right. So, so uh, I know like, like I know that you've done a lot more kind of note taking and research than I did. I'm like you, I, the first time through, I just kind of watch and I take things in. I did look with a little bit more of a critical eye that second time through there was a, there's a couple things that I wanted to look at specifically, but you are uh, very good at these kind of deep dives. So I will, I will defer to you in terms of how you want to lead us through this conversation. Well, before we start with Halloween Kills, I think it's only fair to give our listeners some context as to why we're here to begin with, which is the reboot movie that happened in 2018. So for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure most of you do, otherwise you wouldn't be listening, Halloween got rebooted in 2018 uh, with the new script that was penned by uh, a guy named Jeff Fradley, if I'm pronouncing his name right, Uh, David Gordon Green, who is going to be the director of all three of these movies, and Danny McBride, also known as Kenny fucking Powers, which is amazing to think that Kenny Powers was a screenwriter for for these movies. (laughs) 2018. So what they did here was actually really interesting. They 
So we talked in a previous podcast about Superman. I think it was our last podcast, actually, Mm -hmm. when we talked about definitive roles. And one of the things that I mentioned was that Brandon Routh as Superman in the movie Superman Returns got kind of a bad rap. And I don't think people were really ready for Superman Returns because what they did in that movie was retcon the continuity of the previous movies and say, you know, hey, that Superman 3 and 4 didn't exist, that this is just a direct sequel to Superman 2. And that didn't work for many reasons, the the primary of which being they made a sequel of Superman 2, but recast the entire movie like that doesn't make any sense to me. So that that was sort of flawed. But what they did here was something very similar. Jamie Lee Curtis had very famously not wanted to come back to this franchise in any shape or form. And she said, no, no, no. Under no circumstance will I ever return to Laurie Strode. And here we are in 2018 and she's back on the screen. So what happened is they decided to make this movie with the idea that this 2018 movie would be a direct sequel to the original Halloween movie and only that movie. So they're basically pretending that every movie after that, including Halloween 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, H2O, Resurrection, or no, mm-hmm. Homecoming. I don't even remember what the, all the, the shit was after that. And, and the Rob Zombie universe. Yes. None of that is canon anymore including the ones that Jamie Lee Curtis herself were in, which was Halloween 2, H2O, and the, the one that came right after that where they, they did kill her character. So that movie got made in 2018, came out with a modest budget of $10 million and made north of $250 million. So it was a smash. And immediately they got signed up for two more sequels. Uh, it did feature the return of Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode, as we noticed, but obviously, as I mentioned, None of the other movies existed except for the very first one. The plot really focused around Laurie Strode and her continued obsession with Michael Myers 40 years after he killed five people in the small suburban town of Haddonfield, Illinois. So the plot revolved heavily around her pathos and the effect that it had on her relationship with her family. And then after another trail of bodies, Michael eventually finds his way to Laurie's house where the two square off. And eventually she traps him in the basement and sets the house ablaze. Uh, overall, just as sort of a really quick review, I really liked that movie. I thought it was really good. I don't think it really did much to push the story along, but it brought the Lori Michael storyline back in the forefront. And it, it was fun to watch. I think Jamie Lee Curtis did a fantastic job and it set up for what I thought would have been a couple other good stories. But I mean, what did you think? I mean, obviously you saw this movie too. Yeah, I, I loved that 2018 film. To me, it brought Halloween back to the quote realism, right? It 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 may it brought Michael back to being quote the shape. The the portrayal of Lori in that movie was very consistent, I thought, with what she would be like forty years after the events of the first film. The, you you could really see how somebody could could really obsess and go crazy and just and think about nothing but that night for 40 years and like prepare for it for 40 years and be just kind of borderline crazy. Yeah. I I thought that was great. So if you're going to kind of get rid of the rest of the franchise, I thought that movie did a very good job doing it. And I was pumped for this movie coming out of that one for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. This, this movie being a sequel of that one, in my opinion, and I want to see if you agree with this as we kind of go through this, but I drew some really weird parallels to The Last Jedi. And I'm not really sure how this kind of creeped into my mind, but 
much like the 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 last jedi this is a sequel to a rebooted storyline and this movie halloween kills will eventually sort of rewrite what we thought we knew about this story overall and i feel like they kind of did that in the last jedi as far as you know taking luke's character and making it very different than anybody everybody anticipated it being yeah no i i think i think that i had not thought of that i think that's actually a pretty decent comparison and i guess we'll we'll get into it when you think about the last jedi if you think about luke skywalker being the 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 kind of central or main character of the star wars saga and he, and he was essentially absent from that movie if you think about laurie strode as being the central or main character of the halloween series she's essentially absent from this film so there, there's certainly there's that there's that comparison I, I think it's probably, you know, it's, it's fair to say that I enjoyed this film more within the, within the Halloween franchise than I enjoyed Last Jedi within the Star Wars franchise, like by leaps and bounds. Absolutely. I would agree with that 100%. But I guess the way that I looked at it was The Force Awakens was really about Luke Skywalker. It didn't feature him, but it was about him. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how that 2018 Halloween reboot was. It was about Laurie Strode. And then when we get to the sequel of each respective movie, we find out those characters don't play as prominent of a role as we expected them to. And, and much like The Last Jedi, this movie takes a lot of chances and a lot of different directions than I thought it was going to. And we can discuss it as we go through here, but I can understand as I'm going through this movie why a lot of people are going to have a problem with it because it is, it is not what I expected on any level. And I respected The Last Jedi a lot for that. I respect this movie for that as well. But will we like it as much, I think, is going to be the real question. Let's get into it. So this movie is definitely interesting on a whole lot of levels. The first of which is that we're really going to be told from pretty much the beginning that this story is not about Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. And maybe, just maybe, it never was to begin with, which is really interesting and kind of hard to wrap your mind around because... The whole time you're watching this movie and the 2018 movie, you have to disassociate yourself from all the other movies that are not supposed to take place. It's kind of like being in a courtroom and a lawyer saying, strike that comment from the record, even though everybody heard it. But this movie resumes immediately following the events of 2018, where the boyfriend, I believe his name is Cameron from the previous movie, is stumbling around in the streets and finds Debbie Hawkins laying in the street after he was attacked by Michael's doctor. And then we almost immediately flash back for almost a good 10 minutes to a story that took place in 1978 that immediately followed where the original 1978 movie left off, which I thought was a really interesting parallel. I think, you know, I'd love to hear your opinion on that. These scenes to me are really fantastic. I love them. They looked great. When I saw them in the theater, it made a big difference. It was very, very more authentic looking than what I saw at home on digital. It looked like This was all footage from 1978 that just didn't get used. And that's actually not the case. This is all new footage, or at least most of it. Yeah, I I would agree wholeheartedly. And again, I didn't see it in the theaters, but I was like, are are they pulling footage? Am I not remembering footage that they showed in those previous movies? Is this this footage from, you know, cutting room floors? I agree. It, It looked awesome. The way, the way they did this stuff, the, and you know, we'll talk about it later when they, when they bring back the, the Donald Pleasant's character, it's amazing 
this stuff is really, really well done, 100%. Yeah, I mean, they have artificial film grain on this. They have all these these officers with these haircuts that are clearly out of the late 70s. I mean, it was it was really, really well done. It had me second guessing the whole time. But this storyline follows the events of Hawkins as he's sort of a young officer right shortly after we found him, you know, close to death on the streets in modern day. And uh, we learned that he basically accidentally killed his partner while trying to apprehend Michael Myers in Michael's house. And right here, we already get the vibe that this is going to be a very different movie as we're starting to expand the mythology of the other Haddonfield characters. So we spend a lot of time in this movie about Hawkins. And, you know, I got to be honest, I don't know if I like that part of it. I don't know if I feel like I care enough about Hawkins to be to be thrown in that storyline, because I certainly walked into this movie thinking it would be Laurie versus Michael round two or round three or whatever, whatever we're on right now. But, you know, I'm willing to go with it because they're they're trying to expand the story. They're trying to do something different. And I honestly think at this point, as I'm watching this movie, I'm realizing if this whole movie had just been about Laurie and Michael again, I think it would have been boring, or I think that they would have had to really reach into something really bizarre or crazy to try to keep it interesting. And I kind of like that they are bringing the rest of the town to be focal points of this movie. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. There's a couple pretty significant issues that I have with this movie later on, mm-hmm. and, we'll, and we'll certainly talk about them. But at, at this point in this movie... I'm all in. I'm loving it. I'm not, I'm not having any problems at all. Candidly, I thought Hawkins died in the 2018 movie. I mean, he got stabbed in the neck. I just assumed he was dead. I mean, I suppose sure. they never showed us the body. So I was kind of surprised, quite frankly, when, when we saw him back alive. You had mentioned even before this, I think it was before this, where the, the boyfriend is walking through and he sees the, his buddy up on the fence, right? Or, or they, they show his buddy up on the fence. Flashback, kind of gone yeah. through his, yeah, which was, which was really cool. So like if that, if that wasn't, I can't imagine that wasn't filmed back in 2018. Like it had to be, right? I can't, I, I'd be, anyways, whatever. It was, if it wasn't, they, they spliced it together really well. Yeah. And if, it, if it was, it was a great reuse of that footage. Uh, very similar to the way like Rogue One reused some footage from, unused footage from, from Star Wars in you know, 1977. Yeah, it's a huge compliment to the filmmakers that they they weave this stuff together very well. I, I think eventually we're gonna, I'm gonna have some problems with some of the editing and some of the story choices, but overall, like at this point, I agree with you. Like, I think it's, it's really interesting the way that they're doing this. The aesthetic of these scenes are really cool. And, and my favorite part about this flashback is kind of what you alluded to, which is this Dr. Loomis scene. And I could have sworn that they just took some actor and CGI Loomis's face over it. But this is actually a, a lookalike. This is somebody with, with no CGI work on his face at all that is playing Dr. Loomis in, in today's movie. And they have a voiceover for him. So it's, it's a voice actor who, who does a really good Donald Pleasance imitation. But I thought it was really cool to see him on screen again. It was very believable. I thought they pulled the whole thing off very, very well. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, obviously it, it is an actual actor, but like infinitely better than the way and Rogue One did Tarkin or Princess Leia or, you know, what have you. The fact that this wasn't a CGI character, it was, it was very apparent and again, flowed very, very nicely within this film. So after the opening credits sequence, we then find ourselves at a talent show at a local bar in Haddonfield where 
Anthony Michael Hall as Tommy Doyle, the character from the very first movie, gives a, a, a spoken word performance that, I don't know, to me feels a little bit like clumsy exposition. I think what they're doing is they're counting on people not having seen a lot of these horror movies or a lot of these Halloween movies previous to this, because they're really spelling out a lot about what's going on here to the point where I didn't feel like I needed it. And I kind of wanted them to hurry up a little bit. But that being said, I thought Anthony Michael Hall did a pretty good job with this scene and, and throughout most of the movie. I can't say that I like his character, but I like his acting. I think he's pulling it off really well, even if I don't really like or can relate to the decisions that he's making throughout the film. I guess, first of all, I knew Anthony Michael Hall was in this movie. It took me a, it took me a minute to figure out that's who it was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he just, he just looks, I mean, he doesn't look bad. He just looks so different from my memory of him. Well, he doesn't um, look like Gary from Weird Science no, anymore. No. That's for sure. No, no, he doesn't. And you're right. I, I have some pretty significant issues with, with some character choices that he makes later in the film, but in this particular scene, so it's him and his buddy, I think her, his name is Lonnie, and then there's two girls with him, all of who were, were, had run-ins with Michael in the original 1978 movie. They were babysitters and, and kids of babysitters and this, that, and the other thing. And I, try, and I actually did, I tried to think, like, just with the way Lori was in that first movie and had 40 years to relive that situation and deal with that and come to grips with that this, this is on Halloween night and I think it would be it would be a really really traumatic experience to have to relive that every Halloween I, I'm not sure why they're still living in the town where they were almost brutally murdered 40 years ago I, I would get the fuck out of Dodge but maybe that's just me but I guess if you look at it through that lens that kind of how they act and how they almost revere is too strong a word, but how they have reverence for that night, I think maybe is a little bit more, you can understand a little bit more if you, if you look at it through their lens. Yeah. I think we're meant to think that Haddonfield is an especially small town in Illinois. Obviously it's a fictional town. It doesn't actually exist, but my impression is that it's one of those towns where everybody knows everybody's name and they all go to the same bars and they all sort of communicate in the same circles and and that's kind of where this this whole mob thing gets built up to right but i like what they did here when they're bringing back not only the characters but some of the actors from the very first movie mm -hmm. Mary. the the uh, character marion chambers is the nurse that was attacked by michael when he escaped from the mental institution at the beginning of the first movie uh lonnie hill is not a is not a unique uh, the character was actually in the first Halloween movie, but the actor was not. And of course, Lindsay Wallace is semi-famous. Her name is Kyle Richards. Unfortunately, I know her all too well because my wife watches the Real Housewives of whatever, Beverly Hills, California, <laughs> some of that bullshit. So I see her a lot and I'm very familiar with who she is. And she is the actress that played Lindsay, the little brunette in the very first movie. And, you know, before I go any further, as much as I despise everything that begins with the real housewives i'm going to say of all these characters i think she does the best i'm really i'm buying everything that she's doing now maybe not better than anthony michael hall but he gets a lot more screen time and a lot more opportunity to to sort of develop a character but i think she does really good in this movie i was really surprised some of the older actors like 
the, the one that plays Mary Chambers and the, 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 the really old guy who plays Chief Brackett or, mm-hmm. or Officer Brackett, whatever his, his role is in this film. I mean, they feel a little rusty. Obviously, they haven't acted in a long time, but I was glad to see them back. But I, I thought Kyle Richards did a fantastic job in this movie. She really sold it to me. No, I, I would agree. Um, I, I don't know her from the Real Housewives show. But yeah, she, and she, she was the one that, again, with the exception of Anthony Michael Hall, she was the one that that felt most natural within her role, for lack of a better term. And it should be noted, Anthony Michael Hall is not the original Tommy Doyle. He is just the actor that they got to play him in this movie. After this bar scene, it's about 19 minutes into the movie before we even see Lori Strode for the first time. And she's in the back of the pickup truck with her daughter, Karen, and her granddaughter, Allison, on the way to the hospital when the firefighters are screaming the other direction. And we see that really iconic scene from the first Halloween Kills teaser where she's yelling at the the firemen, just let it burn, let it burn, which I thought was a really great shot. The firefighters show up to Lori's house trying to put out the blaze set by Lori in the last movie when they find Michael hiding in the basement's gun shed. And he proceeds to just tear them apart limb for limb in what I feel like is an insanely gory scene. And, and this is where we learn, like, this movie is not holding back on the gore or the body count, which I believe by the end of this movie, we're under just 30 new bodies, uh, which oh, is wow. just insane. Wow. Like 28, I think, was the final count of how many people were killed in this movie. And, you know, this is going to be an interesting topic of conversation because we saw the Rob Zombie movies. And even though those don't and never did exist in this canon or this universe, those movies were known for being extraordinarily obscenely gory. And that's sort of Rob Zombie style. That's how he films his movies. He will, he will shoot something and it's not just somebody gets hit in the head with a baseball bat once it's six times and the camera stays on him the whole time. This movie is very gory, but I don't feel like it's done without good taste. I think there's a lot of texture to what's going on. And I think the kills are creative and they make sense to me. It doesn't, it's gory, it's graphic, but it's not obscene to me. I don't know how you feel about some of the violence, but it definitely, it's ratcheted up from the first movie for sure. It is. It is not, the word that I use with, with Rob Zombie movies is, gritty and gratuitous and that and that's not to say that i don't like some of those films but you're right th- this one th- this one certainly ups the gore factor and and the body count i didn't realize it was as many as it was that's that's a lot but no it, it's it's not th- this one is not doesn't have that same over the top where you roll your eyes and you're like Ugh, give me okay we get it the guy's dead kind of thing right in fact, even in this scene, right, the, the first guy that he kills, or no, he, he kills two guys in the house and then he comes out and he puts a spike or something through another guy's head. And, and, and it's really kind of interesting the way they do it. It's, it's, you can, you're almost looking at Michael through the eyes of the firefighter who is going down on the ground and, you, and you're seeing it through his lens. And you're, if I remember correctly, you're even hearing his breathing, you know, kind of within his apparatus. And you're seeing Michael kind of destroy the rest of the of the crew. I, I, this the scene is really well done. It's it's really really well done. Yeah, I think the difference between this movie and the Rob Zombie movies is that most of the characters in the Rob Zombie movies are pretty deplorable. Like we don't like them. We kind of want them to be killed. They're sort of disgusting. I think David Gordon Green and the writers of this movie 
find a way to really make us empathize with these characters in a way where we're actually feeling remorse that they get killed. Whereas in, in the other movies, we're, you know, in the zombie movies, we're kind of glad that they get killed because they're just shitheads. But in this movie, it's like you really feel bad for these people. Even the ones that you don't even know, we're going to get to the scene that's upcoming where he goes to the neighbor's house. And, you know, you really start to feel for those characters because they're going through some, the way that they filmed that. It's just it's amazingly compelling. So Lori finally makes her way to the hospital with uh, with Karen and Allison, where she is immediately operated on and then just kind of disappears for a short period of time. Michael then goes to Lori's neighbors, which is kind of what we were talking about, uh, where the gore is ratcheted up even more. And he kills them both pretty gruesomely, one with a fluorescent light bulb, which might be if I had to pick a favorite kill of the movie was that one. I just thought that that was extremely uh, intense and, and definitely visceral. And in, in the reaction that I had as he stuck that light bulb right in her neck. And, you know, it, it's interesting because every death has some sort of meaning or at least it portrays that. So like the lady that died in the scene was actually the one from the 2018 movie that walked the podcasters to the Judith Myers grave. So like she was a character there. So it's almost like in a sense, it was deliberate that Michael did that, which I thought was really interesting. Hmm. And then- I, I, I did not remember her from the, the first movie. I did remember the, the couple, the black couple that was in the bar the the doctor and nurse i remember them from the first movie but i did not remember her from the first movie that's interesting yeah they, a lot of actors kind of very briefly appear the the one the mental patient that everybody thinks is michael myers was in the first movie he was in the uh he was in the aside he was on the bus that they crashed the uh, the little kid that was being babysat had a little cameo on the news show so i mean they do a really good job again of the continuity kind of bringing everything together so back at the bar, Lonnie gets a call from uh, his son, Cameron, the one that was wandering around at the beginning of the movie and you know, finds out something strange is afoot. And uh, the rest of the survivors from the original movie see the news report on the bus crash and the four dead bodies from the previous movie. So they decide to leave. And before I go further, I want to I want to make sure that I get this in there because it's something that I think is important that I sort of realized as I was watching it a second time. This movie almost takes place in real time. Like it doesn't jump forward. I mean, it goes backward to, you know, tell us some some backstories. This all takes place in the, in about two hours following the events of the last movie, which I think is really interesting because this entire movie takes place at night and it all takes place a couple hours after Michael and Lori have their, you know, first standoff at her house. So that, that's just something that I think is important as we go through this, because there, you, know, you could ask a lot of questions, of, you know, when we get to the point where the, the people get angry and it's like, well, you know, what about all these horror tropes about why don't you just go get a semi-automatic rifle and just gun this guy down? It's like, well, this happened like an hour after all the events in the previous movie happened. So it's not like you can just go to Walmart at, at 11 PM at night and, and go get a semi-automatic rifle. I mean, it's. Yeah. You know Yeah. And I, and I think, I think that's a good point too, because it really speaks to that mob mentality and, yeah. and that, and that how, how a, a group of scared and pissed off individuals especially in the moment, right. Can, can do some pretty frightening things that, yeah, that's, that's a good point, right. It's, they, they didn't have days or weeks to, to, to kind of settle down and to think about right. it rationally. Process and, everything. Like, yeah, it was, it was that night. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's, it's a good point. 
So as they all start to leave the bar, the uh, the one couple gets in their car and they discover who they think is Michael Myers in the back. And the character manages to drive away and immediately crash the car. And it really just only incites the rage of Tommy Doyle and, and the would-be mob. And then we're introduced to uh, Big John and Little John, who are celebrating Halloween in their own home. Two new characters to the movie. The two are interrupted by some kids who pull a fast one on them and, and steal all their candy, which is how we found out that they are living in the modern day Michael Myers house. It's an interesting scene. I think they, they tell the kids a ghost story and scare them off. It's really just the, the whole exposition to set up the house being what ends up becoming a focal point for Michael Myers and his, his journey in this movie. The authorities then tell Karen and Allison that Michael escaped the fire to which they pretty justifiably lose their shit. And, you know, Allison says, this is the granddaughter again. She says, he's the one that brought them together. And she's referring to the doctor from the first movie. And this is where we really start to feel the separate, you know, more separation between the whole Lori Michael mythology. I think this is where they start tipping their hat to, you know, this whole thing, not really being about Lori, which I, again, I, I don't, I don't know how you feel about that. I, I guess now is as good a time to talk about it as any. Because it's really hard for me to separate that. I, I guess I like the fact that they're doing this differently, but at the same time, it's probably not what I wanted when I went into this movie. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't I wasn't quite sure. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted. I really enjoyed the portrayal of Lori in the first movie. I was kind of bummed that I didn't get more of that Lori in this movie. And I think it's partially because of what you're talking about, right? It, it's, it's because this really isn't Lori's movie. What, what, I, what I have a hard time with in this movie, and, and, and we'll get there, is up, up, until, up until really the, the very end, Michael is still like, he's, he's human. He's, he's, he's a guy. He is... He's not supernatural. He's not doing things that an actual, you know, I mean, for the most part, right? I don't think he, you know, he's not, he's not taking gunshots and, and keep moving forward. He's not, you know, he's not the zombie Jason Voorhees from the sixth or seventh movie. And, and so I, I, I was always kind of, I guess what I was interested in this movie was the why behind Michael. Why is he doing what he's doing? Why does he, you know, and seems like maybe the answer is he's coming home. I don't know that we necessarily got an answer to that, but it seems to your point, it's not Lori. Lori is not the reason that he's doing what he's doing. I don't know that I necessarily got a great answer to that question for me, but I think it's pretty definitive that it's not Lori Strode. No, you didn't get an answer and neither did I. And that was actually one of my criticisms of the first movie or not the first movie, but the 2018 reboot is that, okay, we told this whole story, but we're still not any closer to why any of this is happening. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they announced a couple sequels, I'm like, okay, all right, that's what you better do. That's what you better establish before this is all over is why is he doing this? What is it about Lori? And it turns out maybe it's not about Lori. Maybe there's another motivation. And I'm open to that idea, but it needs to get to a point. Maybe we're getting closer, but so far we haven't quite tipped our hat to what that is and i mean you have three movies to tell that entire story obviously there's going to be some stuff that's filler but in this case i think the filler is really interesting because it takes a bit of a different approach yeah here's my concern coming out of this movie and again we're going to talk about the rest of the movie in you know the next couple minutes here but 
my concern coming out of this movie is, you know, you, you mentioned The Last Jedi. If I'm going to go to make another Star Wars analogy, when, when you had the, the turn of Darth Vader in Revenge of the Sith, you had three movies to tell that story. And they ended up telling the turn of Darth Vader or the turn of Anakin Skywalker to Darth Vader in about like a 12 minute sequence, right? And it was really, really rushed. And that movie had one fucking job. It was to show the, the fall of Anakin Skywalker. And in my opinion, it failed miserably. Yes. And now coming out of this movie with not getting an answer to this question, or at least in my mind, not even really giving us any clues that third movie is going to have one fucking job. It's going to explain why and who Michael is. And my real big concern is they're going to do it in like 12 minutes at the end of the movie. And I'm going to be left really, really let down. That's, I hope I'm wrong. That's my concern. It's a legitimate concern. You know, we'll get to it. I have a few questions that I want to pose to you at the end of this, because I'm, I'm wondering to myself, do I want all those answers? I mean, I think that I do, but Am I confident that those answers will satiate my curiosity about this? Because every time we ask for the answers and they give us something, nine times out of 10, we don't like what we hear. So is it better to leave certain things a mystery or do we really want some sort of finality to this? I, I don't know. We get, we get to wait another year to find out. So the vigilantes start to form as Tommy and Lonnie get a group of people together, including Allison, to go hunt down Michael. And the next scene, these next couple scenes might actually be one of my favorites of the whole movie. This is the one where Lindsay and Marion Chambers and the couple from the bar make their way to the park and they stumble upon the three kids that stole the candy from the John's house, we'll call them. You know, Lindsay rushes up to them. She's like, what are you? This was another good scene from the trailer. And she's like, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, there's this guy who's, you know, poking around and playing hide and seek with us. And she's like screaming at him, get out of here, go home. And then everybody faces off with Michael and this really great fight scene breaks out, basically leaves everybody dead except for Lindsay. And, and she manages to hide. And I, I thought this was a really great scene. I really liked some of the action here. You could certainly focus on some of the sloppy gunplay by the characters, but when you think about it, like none of these people were trained to do anything. So in my mind, as, as much as we like to yell at the people on screen for running upstairs instead of down or, or, or not shooting somebody in the head or whatever. Like this all makes sense. It doesn't feel unrealistic to me the way that they pulled this scene off. Uh, no, I agree wholeheartedly. Michael here is still consistent with being human. He's still a guy. He's, he's a guy that is, is making people afraid and is not afraid. So it makes sense that like if somebody's shooting at him, they're going to miss because they're nervous and they're afraid because he's coming after them. Whereas he has a sole purpose. There's a, one of my favorite kills of the movie here is when the, he kills the black guy in the car and he puts a knife right through his eye. It's like one of my favorite, it's just, it's a simple, like it's one of my favorite kills. It, it is followed up very quickly right thereafter by the dumbest kill in the movie where the girl, like he kicks the gun and she shoots herself in the head. It was like laugh out loud funny and it shouldn't have been. I love that. I love that death. I don't know why. I just thought that I'm like, Jesus, if anything could go wrong, like right. that would not be the way that I would want to die. But I, I just, I love the sort of simplicity of, of how that kind of unfolded. 
Right. I also like that they that they killed characters like the original characters from the original movie. Right. I I, I liked that they didn't put those guys up on a, guys guys and gals up on a pedestal and and yeah. Michael you know quote got the jump done. He he came back and he you know again I don't know that that is his mission. I don't know that he is caring about the babysitters or the kids from 40 years ago but if it if it was you know he he can kind of check them off the list and move on to the next ones what is really interesting about this movie is that he doesn't kill teenagers this isn't there the common horror tropes are are not a factor in this movie he's he's killing old people for the most part yeah like do you i mean you know you've got your your firefighters and all that those were those were just sort of like people who got the way but i mean the people that he sort of sought out to go after, they were all older people, which I think is really interesting that they sort of stepped out of the normal thing and it, it made it more fun in, in a weird way, but sounds kind of shitty to say that, but it, it was, they, they really tried, they basically said, Hey, you know, all those tropes of the eighties where, you know, the, the kids who have sex get killed or the kids who smoke dope get killed or whatever. Like they threw that shit all out the window. Like this is not, this is a modern day horror movie that has different rules. And I, I like that. I think that that's, that works a lot for me. I like that. And, and I can only, I can only assume that that is done with the audience of this movie in mind, because they, I have to think Mm -hmm. that they understand that the, the main audience for this movie is going to be fans of that original movie 40 years later, right? People like you and I who are in our mid forties that grew up on those movies. I, I can only assume that they're doing that on purpose. Yeah, I think so. I think that there's definitely some intention there. So we see Hawkins reunited with Lori in the hospital where they have a moment hinting at a romantic past, which I don't know, that seemed weirdly out of place. This is the point where they start cutting a lot between them and what's going on with this mob and all of this stuff. And, at this point, they still think Michael is dead, which I think is really interesting. And then we see Tommy bring Lindsay to the hospital and a conversation between him and Karen reveals that everyone thinks he's coming to find Lori at the hospital. I, I thought that was interesting. It's actually Karen and Tommy who sort of spin this story that Michael is coming to get Lori at the hospital. It wasn't anybody else. I think it was them. Maybe Lori said something like he's coming to get me, but I don't think so. I think it was them which is sort of why everything started at the hospital, which was pretty interesting. And then Tommy further invigorates the crowd chanting evil dies tonight as the people get more enraged, which by the end of this movie, I was really tired of hearing that phrase. They, they use that obnoxiously. There, there seemed to be a lot of, uh, I don't know what to call them taglines, you know, that, that the characters were saying uh, that, that Laura Strode said that Hawkins said that, Tommy Doyle said that there were just a lot of things where it felt like they should be looking at the camera and, and spitting out these, these sound bites that just seemed a little, I guess maybe that speaks to one of the problems I had with this movie was some of the dialogue. I didn't think it was very well written in terms of how people were supposed to be speaking to each other. And it, it felt like they were more posturing for sound bites, but you know, that, I mean, that, that's fine. Yeah, the, yeah, there was there was a lot of there was an awful lot of exposition. There was an yeah, you're right. The dialogue between the characters was was not very natural. It was not very yeah. the the way you know you and I are talking to each other or the way you know like yeah, just it just didn't seem. It almost seemed like and I know that did, they didn't do this. It was like okay, 
here's a marketing firm. Let's come up with the, you know, here's 25 different taglines that we need to put in this movie. Ready, go, right? Dialogue around yeah. it, right? And to your point, evil dies tonight, you know, was a thing that probably could have been said once, maybe twice and been done with it. But they just like, they beat it to death to the point where it was just like, it was funny by the time they got done yeah. with it. Well, they were literally chanting it in the hospital and, and cops were chanting it. And, and it's just like, what's going on here? Uh, but Lori finds out the truth about Michael being alive and she drops this line. The only way he will die is if I die too. And I just thought that was really, really bizarre. And I'm curious from your perspective, are they pulling some sort of Harry Potter Voldemort thing here where it's like just highlighting, you know, like only if one dies, the other has to die or something like that. I mean, they're highlighting the fact that Laurie is obsessed with this rivalry that isn't actually there. I think maybe that's what this scene is about is to just show that she is totally self-absorbed about this whole thing. I thought about Harry Potter. I thought about Rise of Skywalker. I thought about, like, I thought about a bunch of those things, right? Here's where it kind of starts to go off the rails a little bit for me, right? Because it's like, again, up until now in this universe, and again, this universe is at this point, a movie and a half. Michael is a guy. He's a dude. He's not supernatural. There's, there's no wizardry going on. There's no force. There's no supernatural anything. And when we start to introduce things like, well, he can only die if I die or like those kind of things, it starts to kind of go off the rails a little bit for me. It's like, okay, is he, is he not human? Is he something from an outer world? Is he a monster? Like that kind of thing. Part of the reason that I'm really enjoying these movies is they are, again, they're set in reality. I can very much see a guy walking around with a butcher knife, killing people. That unfortunately is a world that we can live in. It's not Freddy Krueger where I fall asleep and he kills me in my dreams. It's not Jason Voorhees where, you know, like Michael has always been, again, especially in this version of the universe, real. And this is where it starts to go off the rails a little bit for me. Well, and that's a good point, and that's fair if that's kind of where you're seeing this, but to be fair to the script, they never tell us that necessarily. They they ask us to draw that conclusion, but they never tell us that he's not supernatural. They never say he is a man, he can absolutely get hurt just like anybody else. They definitely set that stage, but it's a lot easier to say that in the beginning and then graduate him into something supernatural than it is to go the other way around. And by the end of this movie, I think we're meant to believe that it is supernatural, like that there is some sort of oh, it, it has boogeyman to be. factor to it, it because to be. he he takes a, a couple beatings and a couple bullets that no human being could survive, right. Right? right? I mean, a lot of people take some pretty obnoxious uh, injuries in this movie that don't die. I mean, Hawkins got a knife to the neck. I mean, there, there are a lot of stretches. There's a lot of disbelief to suspend here. I, I don't think to this point they've said specifically that he has to be that way. Because if you think back to the 1978 movie, you know, he got shot, he fell out of a house and then he disappeared. So, I mean, it's it's always sort of teetered the line a yeah, little that's bit, true. I think. That's true. But, you know, they're they're pushing that line a little bit further by the end of this movie, for sure. I agree with that. We make our way back to the Myers house where Michael takes out his holiday spirit on both Big John and Little John. 
one of which took a rather painful looking knife to the armpit. If you, you mentioned that your favorite kill is probably the one with the, the knife to the eye for the, uh, the guy in the car, the knife to the armpit. I don't know why, but for that one made me jump like that. That made me squirm so bad because I've never seen that before. And I think there's like a major artery or something there in your armpit. So, I mean, it, it makes sense why he did that, but there was something about that that just really shook me. Yeah. Th this sequence in Big John and Little John's house, they both got really good deaths. And again, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's coming home. I don't know if it's the house that's giving his power. I don't know if that's the, the house that's drawing him. I'm not, I, I still don't know. I, I guess that would, that would make sense. But yeah, I, I think I thought both of these deaths were really good. I, I'm, I'm interested. Why, why do you think, and he's done this, Michael has done this a couple times in this movie. After he kills people, he kind of lays them out. He, he, he props them up. He, he poses them. He posed the, the, the couple at the, at the beginning he posed. He posed Big Lon and John and Little John. He posed the, the folks in the, uh, at the playground. What's, do, what's the significance of that? And like, they didn't really explore it, but um, with maybe the exception of in Big, Big John and Little John's house, there was a picture of them. Yeah. That they just kind of glanced over and he almost kind of posed them similar to that picture. I mean, what, what are we supposed to read into all that? I don't know. I thought about that too after a second viewing or maybe a third viewing. Yeah, that he basically recreated that picture. I thought that was really interesting. I don't know what his intention is there. I don't know if that's just an artistic choice by the filmmakers or if that's actually going to unfold to be something. I, I don't know what it could be, even if they were going to try to write some sort of explanation for it. I don't know what would even make sense for something like that. But I right. have noticed that he seems to be parading if that's the right word his victims or showcasing them in a way that it's almost trying to draw more attention than the actual crimes themselves mm -hmm. so fun fact the guy who played little john which was the taller guy ironically was the guy i don't do you remember the first austin powers movie where there was the guy who got run over by the steamroller and oh, it was like him? no yeah. no yeah like, Right. He played that actor. So he is officially the first actor to ever be killed by Michael Myers and Mike and Myers. Mike Myers. <laughs> That's awesome. Pretty uh, fun fact, little trivia there. Thank you, IMDb, for that little nugget. So we then take a, a bit of a deviation from the main storyline when the character who stole the car in the first act shows up at the hospital. And now this mob, which is pretty much officially that, thinks that it's Michael Myers. And Tommy goes into full-blown rage mode to lead this crowd to hunt him down. But Karen and Lori realize that this is not actually Michael. And despite Karen's best efforts, you know, the man is cornered and eventually jumps out a window to avoid the angry mob, killing himself in the process. And, and this was kind of a, it was a bit of a heartbreaking scene, I thought. I mean, I think it, it took a long time. This was one of the things that I felt like could have been edited down because it seemed like it took a lot of time. And maybe it felt that way because we all knew this wasn't Michael Myers. So we we're just sort of waiting. And we all knew this was a mob. I feel like we could all kind of sense the direction this whole thing was going, that he was going to die and that everybody was going to feel terrible about it. And it was going to be some sort of commentary on mob mentality and, and vigilante justice and things like that. I, I thought it was interesting the way that they handled it. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, it, I think it was it was too long. I, I thought it was some of the, it was it was one of the the best looking, uh, I think, practical effects. You know, the, the, when when that dude hit the ground, you know, there there was arms and heads and 
blood and brains and all kinds of stuff. I, I agree. Heartbreaking is a good word for it. You feel bad for the guy, right? Because he's clearly scared. He's a mental patient. Uh, he's got a mob after him. It is a mob that is after the wrong guy. They continue to chant evil dies tonight, which is just fucking irritating. You know, obviously this movie was not filmed after January 6th, but I can't help but, you know, I couldn't help but think about, you know, the the Janu- the events of January 6th at the Capitol. Yeah. Um, again, obviously it's just, it's just a coincidence. Again, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what the filmmakers are going for here other than to show us how easily that mob mentality can take over and, and how dangerous that can become. That's what they were going for. I think they accomplished it. I agree with you. I, th- I think it could probably have been cut kind of, you know, four or five minutes shorter easily. Yeah. I mean, I ultimately didn't really care about this guy that much, but I think it was almost to establish Haddonfield as a character of its, of its own and to really sell us, the viewers, as you know, this whole town has been. I mean, they, they, they've, they've been terrorized and they've been changed. Yes. To, they've been changed to the point that they've been um, they've been radicalized. They've been activated. Yeah. They've been they've been pushed to the brink by fear and hate to the point where they could act this way. I, you know, I can only imagine that that's what they're going for. Yeah. And, 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 and this, and if that's what they were going for, this scene was very successful at it. Yeah. I think it is what they're going for. And I'll be honest with you. I think it speaks, even though that this movie was filmed years before the riots or the, you know, the, the issue at the Capitol, you know, this, I think speaks to, you know, a lot of what's going on in society today, people feeling angry about what's going on and people saying, I, I'm not going to take it anymore. And, and the polarization of viewpoints and things like that. I, there's always social commentary in movies like this in some fashion. And, and, and it tends to lean a little bit more liberal because Hollywood usually is more liberal, but I don't really think it leans either direction here. I don't think it's saying that it's bad, it's good or bad. I think it's just saying, hey, this exists. And, and this is something that, you know, we all need to recognize and, mm-hmm. and think about. So we get a quick flashback from Hawkins after Lori's taken back to her room where it's revealed that he actually kept Loomis from basically executing Michael in front of the cops, which <laughs> seems a little bit, I mean, extreme. But uh, we all know how Loomis felt about Michael. And we get another scene from 1978 where another officer helps Hawkins basically cover up his crime, which... I, I don't know why this scene exists. I don't know that I love this scene unless unless they put this in here just to explain why Hawkins still has a job in law enforcement that somebody helped cover that up, I, I guess. But it, it, I, it, it does show how disillusioned the town is when it comes to who is at fault. I guess that that's why it's there is like, why would he still have a job? Honestly, though, I, like I, I wouldn't have, if this scene wasn't there, I wouldn't have questioned it. Right. Like I like I don't think Hawkins did anything wrong. Yeah, he killed his partner, but like he, he, he it wasn't like he was trying to do it. I, I don't know. I, th- th- yeah, th- this was an unnecessary scene for me. It didn't add anything to it again, unless unless in that third movie that this this scene is going to come back or, or this character is going to come back. I would be shocked if it did, though. I, this was a throwaway for me. Yeah, I agree. Like, I didn't understand it either. But I think what the movie's trying to tell us is that we're supposed to care about Hawkins. We're supposed to think that, you know, what he went through was almost as bad as what Lori went through or or in some different way. I don't agree with it. 
But I think that's kind of what they're trying to tell us. And I, I almost feel like it's going to be a Hawkins Strode team up in Halloween ends to go after Michael. I don't know. Maybe. Again, maybe. I don't know. Why else would we be spending so much time with Hawkins in this movie? I, I, I no, I, you're right. This movie is telling me that I should care about Hawkins. I don't give a fuck about Hawkins. Like I thought he was dead. I don't either. Yeah. You know, like I just, I just don't. And I don't know that, I don't know that another movie of 120 minutes or 140, whatever it is, I don't think there's enough screen time to make me care about Hawkins, like to the point where I'm going to want to see the Hawkins Michael showdown i i just yeah, I, I don't i don't see that coming and it's not because he's a bad actor or, or that no, character is no. unappealing it's because jamie lee curtis commands all of the screen time like she's the one that should be the focus here i think she's the best actor on screen and she deserves to have all the attention and that's something that they made a conscious choice not to do in this movie and Again, I can only hope that it's building up to something that makes sense in, in the final movie. And, and they haven't disappointed me yet. So I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. So Tommy realizes, you know, the error of his ways and says, but if I'm going down, I'm going down swinging, which I thought was kind of a great line because it's kind of this fuck it mentality, right? Like he, I can't say that that's where I feel like I would be, but given the situation that he was in, and again, we have to keep in mind, this isn't over you know, a two week period where everybody's had time to sleep and think about things like this whole thing is just kind of continuously compounding on itself. And he's just like, you know what, we screwed up. Fuck it. We still need to kill this guy. We still need to go. And so I, I really related to that for some reason. And I thought that, that was a, a good scene. So he, he recruits Karen. He's like, let's go, let's go find him. And then we see Lonnie and his son, Cameron and Allison, they all arrive at the Myers house to investigate. And of course, Michael takes it out on Lonnie, who goes in by himself for whatever reason. That that just seemed unnecessarily. <laughs> I don't know why that happened. But Allison and Cameron then follow, and Cameron is the first to be jumped by Michael, who jumps out of the closet that I feel like he pinned Laurie in 40 years earlier, which I thought was kind of a nice callback. And Allison tries to help, but you know, is apparently terrible with a fucking shotgun and is thrown downstairs as she seemingly breaks her leg. And then before Michael is able to to take her out, Karen comes in and, and, and saves her daughter by shoving a pitchfork in his back. So a lot of stuff happened here. Of course, Cameron gets killed. You know, I'll take a brief second to pause here to say that I think one of the things that I really wanted out of this film that I didn't get was more focus on Allison because uh, this actress, her name is Andy Matichek. I thought she was great in, in the first movie. I mean, she didn't have a huge part, but I sort of maybe assumed incorrectly that she would she would be the next Lori Strode or she would be the one that sort of took the crown of what was going to happen next. And I think she's really compelling. I think she can act. I think she did really good in that movie. And I expected more of this movie to be about her or whatever was going on with her. And she had virtually nothing to do with this entire film. I, I agree. I, I, w I am flabbergasted at the lack of screen time for Lori for Judy Greer's character and for, for this Allison character, and I'm mixing up the actresses and the character names, Lori, Lori's daughter, who is Judy Greer, yeah. and then Lori's granddaughter, who is th this gal that you're talking about, they're, they're, they're just essentially absent from this movie, especially if you, if you remember back to the last, what, the last third of that 2018 movie, 
like they're it's they're the trio that yeah. captures Michael. They're the trio yeah. that does him in. They're the trio that that puts him in the basement and sets shit on fire. They're the they're the trio that has been shown to like especially the Judy Greer character. You know she had been essentially training her entire life under her crazy grandmother, yeah. and she was the one that like hey I you know I got gotcha. you. And then they're just absent, and it just—I I don't get it. I, I, I yeah, I was—I'm—I'm I'm floored that we haven't—that we don't see more of this trio. Well, I guess I'm okay with it as long as, again, it's building to something that's going to pay off in the third movie. Because if you think of it as one long story, having them be the focal point of the entire thing is going to be easy to poke a lot of holes into. So I'm okay with them taking a little bit of a backseat as long as whatever's happening here is going to build to something that makes sense and a, and a reasonable crescendo at the end of this third and final film. Yeah, Will I mean, it happen that way? I don't know. But well, I, I don't. I don't know, right? So at this at this point, I, I I try to think about kind of character motivation. Laurie Strode clearly has a character motivation, right? She she was she has her history with with Michael going back to 1978. Well, let's put aside the character motivations of the fact that it is Judy Greer's mother and Allison's grandmother. But at this point, after this movie, they both have motivations, right? Judy Greer's husband was killed in, in the 2018 movie. Mm-hmm. Allison's boyfriend, Cameron, was killed in this movie. So like th- th- at this point, they all three have very, very personal stakes and yeah. very, very personal reasons to come after him. Sure. Um, call it revenge, call it you know, whatever it is. I, I don't know if that's enough, but at this point they they all have individual personal reasons for going after Michael. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I hope that's what they're going to focus on in this last movie. I hope it's more of a, a team up effort there because I think that all those characters, and I'll be honest, out of all of them, I think Judy Greer does the best in this movie. And mm-hmm. I'm not a, I'm not an overwhelming fan of hers, generally speaking. I mean, I don't hate her, but I've never seen her in anything that I really think she was fantastic in. But I think that her performance and her character stick out more than uh, Jamie Lee Curtis or Andy Matichek in this movie. So, you know, I, I think that's good that that she got that time. But you know, we'll see how that all unfolds in this third movie because that's that's going to be really interesting. So after Karen shoves that pitchfork in Michael's back, she pulls off his mask and he chases her to a nearby street where he's finally surrounded by all the angry townsfolk who all take their shots, some very much literally, and get Michael to the ground where Karen basically delivers this final blow with a knife. And then she quickly returns to the Myers house to to care for Allison as the authorities arrive. And then Michael, with some insane level of resilience and unnatural strength, manages to rebound and kills everybody who's attacking him, including Tommy Doyle. And and this is crazy because he gets shot like three or four times. Now, could he have a vest on? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's fine. But I mean, he gets hit in the head multiple times with like a baseball bat and, and, and all kinds of stuff. So if I have to guess where you're going with what you're about to say, this is the scene where we're like, okay, like he's got to be a zombie, right? Like there has to be something supernatural going on because no human being can take what he has taken. I mean, mind you, he's been stabbed. He's been hurt in other other parts of this movie. And this is only a couple hours after he had the showdown with Lori that happened in the previous movie where he got hurt. He got his fucking fingers blown off. Do you remember that? So um, yep. 
which I forgot to check for that continuity, but I don't, I, I assume that, you know, that didn't really play a big factor in it. But so he basically rises from the dead here. I, I don't know if that's what's happening, but it's, it's curious to know where they're going to go from here, because to your point earlier, like they, you know, they are starting to take this in a different direction and Lori's upcoming dialogue pretty much kind of confirms that. Yeah, this is this is where and, and again, you're, you're not wrong when you point out that, you know, he got shot in the first movie and then disappeared and he and he got his fingers blown up. You, you're not wrong to point that stuff out. But this is the point right here where it jumped the shark. The, the character has, you know, because Judy Greer's character it, after the, the beatdown and the bullets and the this, that and the other thing she takes like a 12 inch kitchen knife and puts it like in his the back of his neck. Mm-hmm. And, and he lays there for, I don't know, five or six minutes, a, a long, a long enough for us to get some exposition. And then he like pops up, takes it out and like proceeds to kill everybody. It was the, it was the first time where I was like, eh. I was, I was kind of bummed. Right. I was just like, eh, that kind of sucks. That was that, for me if they're going to make him just this kind of supernatural killing machine, which it looks like they're going to. Okay. That's fine. I didn't think that that's what we had yeah. up until this point right here. No, that's fair. They didn't give us any reason to believe that's what we had. Right. You right. Know, there was enough blurry lines that we could assume that, all right, it's a little extreme, but maybe a human being could take that and, and deal with it. It's really hard to believe at this point that a normal human being could deal with that. Now, granted, you know, we left him burning alive in a house in the last movie and they came up with a pretty good explanation of how we got out of it. So you never know, maybe right. screenwriters yep. are pretty smart guys. That's why they get paid a shitload of money. So maybe I, they're going to come up with something. Yep. I will give it that. But you know, I, I I'm willing to, to kind of let it right. Like I'm not checked out by any means. Like I, I still, I'm interested because they haven't failed me yet. they there are a lot of question marks, but I don't feel like they failed me. I no, I agree. I, I'm I am not when I say it jumped the shark, I don't mean I don't mean to say that I'm out. I'm I'm not enjoying this movie. It 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 ruined this movie for me or it, like anything like that. Yeah. But it but it 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 changed my perception of that character of Michael Myers. Yeah, you're worried um, now because they I, they they, they I, kind of took it into a place where they're, they're actually taking it back to the 80s a little bit, right? Like they're making right. him more like this unkillable zombie character, which right. it's not as fun, right? It, it doesn't have as many stakes that right. way. Yeah, right. I get that. I get that. Um, I do have to point out just the, and, and I think you mentioned it earlier, and we even talked about it, just the the amount of terrible shots that are in this group, the American, like nobody can hit anything. Nobody can shoot straight. There, there's actually a, there's actually a woman there standing on the outskirts that has an iron, like she's standing there with an iron. Which is, <laughs> I didn't see that. Yeah, it's like that's it's, amazing. You're, you're actually going to bring an iron to to beat up Michael? Like, come on, a baseball bat, sure, but not an iron. Well, see, I kind of um, like that though because again, well, they're, they're selling yeah. us that Haddonfield is this kind of small sort of. I don't want to say Hilljack, but I mean they're kind a backwards. Of a podunk, yes. Yeah, they're podunk town where. You know what? If they're mop mentality, like some lady's gonna have an iron. Like I, I, I can see that. Like I don't. It's not what I would bring to a fight by any means. Right. I'm not gonna plug <laughs> it in and then make sure the steam is set to to really high. You know, I, that's not gonna be my 
strategy, but I right. could see that being somebody's strategy like that. I, I, I can go with that because of what they've told me so far. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so we're, we're, we're almost at the end here. Yeah. So back at the Myers house, Karen comforts Allison while the authorities arrive, but something draws Karen up to the window where Michael stood so many years before. And she contemplates the events of the evening where Michael approaches it from the shadows behind and stabs her multiple times. And we cut to Lori, which this really gorgeous sort of cut back and forth, or it's, it reminds me a little bit of uh, that scene in Jaws that's kind of famous, a visual scene in Jaws where Roy Scheider is sitting on the beach and he's in the beach chair. And every time somebody walks in front of him, it sort of wipes the camera and it, and the next time you see him, it's like a little bit closer and it keeps crawling closer and closer. It's not that same thing, but it's a visually similar type shot. And I, I don't know if it's like she, if they're trying to tell us that like Lori can sense what's going on or something's happening there. Maybe they are doing some sort of Voldemort thing where they're connected. I don't know, but you know, it, we don't get much more than that because it, it shows Michael and he stares into the camera and it, it cuts to black and, and that's the end of our movie. And it's, it's pretty jarring. It's pretty interesting, but that's, that's how we wrap things up. So that is Halloween kills. You know, the, the movie takes a lot of chances and I really respect it highly for that. And I think the chances that it took as I've given it a couple watches, I'm much more forgiving of than I was The Last Jedi, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yes, it's a much more enjoyable film. It's a better movie. I, it is. Yeah, it is. I really it do is. think it is better yeah, it is. than that by landslide. Which is sad to say that a Halloween sequel is better than a Star Wars it's sequel. Better than a Star Wars sequel. Yeah, it, it, no, it is. It is for sure. I enjoyed this movie. Again, I, I know there's a lot of hate out there for this movie. And I know, that, and we've talked, you know, for the last hour or so about like some pretty, pretty big plot points and downfalls and this, that, and the thing. Again, to me, this was really consistent with, a, with this franchise. I thought it was a great sequel to the 2018 movie. If, if you're just looking at it just through that lens, it was a per, like a, a perfect sequel to that movie. The continuity I thought was good. They've got the actors back. They, yeah. they're, they're, you know, they're, I, I don't, I guess I just don't really understand what people are, were expecting out of this movie in terms of quality of acting. And again, the dialogue was kind of shitty, but like, if you look at the kills here, the kills are amazing. There's a ton of them. They, they're gory. They're not over the top. They're not, you know, they're not Rob Zombie level of violence. If you enjoy slasher movies, I'm not sure how you can't enjoy this movie. I just, I, I just, I don't get it. I agree. I think it's great. Not only do I think it's great, I think it's one of the best of all the Halloween movies, to be honest. I mean, it slaughters everything in the eighties to be, <laughs> this movie is a better movie than most of those. And again, it does take a very different direction, but I, I think it's bold and I think it does a good job. And I, I think this is not unlike, you know, the Matrix Reloaded, right? Like this this movie is going to help set the stage for the third movie. And if the third movie is really great, then this is going to be one of the greatest horror trilogies that ever came out. And if the third movie really sucks, then I'm going to be like, oh, the second movie yeah. just didn't, you know, th there's no point to revisit this if the third movie really sucks, because obviously it's just setting that movie up. So I'm really hopeful that they do good things with it. But I mean, to be honest, you know, we're, we're making all these comparisons to like Star Wars and the Matrix. 
this this series so far has more on both of those, in my opinion, because the first movies were in those trilogies were were both good. I think we both agree with the second movies were both kind of and I think the second movie for this one was was better. Like I, I can just get behind it. I think I like what they did. I, I here. agree. I think production wise, it was good from a cinematography perspective. It was really good. They really tapped into the the zeitgeist of what is happening today in our culture. I mean, they basically predicted what was going to happen in January, you know, like with, with the Capitol riots, like it's, it's crazy that the way that they did that. And I, I definitely see some Trump like uh, illusions, illusions, not illusions, but illusions as far as um, some comparisons and some of the dialogue. And I think that there's a specific audience for this movie that might relate to some of that Yep. in in a weird way, just because it's, you know, Haddonfield's a very blue collar town, you know, that feels underappreciated. And I feel like they're just painting that picture, you know, not, not judging or good or bad. I'm just, you know, that's how I think that they're trying to set this up. And I I love it. I, I think they did a great job with this movie. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because I'm right there with you. And it seemed like at least from, from a lot of my Facebook and, and other social Twitter and other social medias, it seemed like it was, it was kind of negative. And I, and I was kind of bummed by that because I, I, I watched it and again. I watched it a couple of times and I, and I realized that I'm kind of a homer for these kind of movies, right? I, I tend to, mm-hmm. I tend to enjoy these kind of turn your brain off movies and I don't really look at them with a critical eye. And I understand that I, I, I look at, you know, but I like what I like. And, and so I'm always kind of bummed when, when the masses kind of hate a movie that I love. So it, it makes me, makes me really happy that you enjoyed this one on, on very many similar levels that I did. I think if you can disassociate the Jamie, if, if you're willing to say, okay, maybe this series, this, this Halloween series is not necessarily about Laurie Strode and Michael Myers, then and that's tough to do. That is really, really, really hard to do. But if you can do that, I think you'll find a good movie here. I think you'll find something that's really interesting that plays really well in today's movie going audience. But I can understand I, those people who were expecting, you know, round two of them going at it and and thinking, what the fuck is this? Like it was her in a hospital. That was the whole movie. She had nothing. She had right. nothing to do in this movie. But I'm okay with that. I really am. I, I'm okay with that as long as it leads to something bigger and better. And they haven't yeah. disappointed me so far. So I'm hoping that they won't with the next one. There was there was one thing that was missing here that okay. I was bummed that I that it was missing. Shoot. There is a very specific audio track that was played in that 2018 movie. It was the, I believe it was the son of John Carpenter that actually created this particular, and it was like a, God, I wish I could play it, but it was when one of the first times we saw Michael in the 2018 movie, and it was a really kind of dark and gritty, it was like a, it was mm-hmm. like a violin and, and yeah, they, yeah. Didn't br- they didn't bring it back here. And I was waiting for it. Cause it was like one of my absolute favorite sound cues in that movie. And they didn't yeah. bring it back and I was bummed. So, but, but beyond that, um, I thought this movie sounded great with, with that one emission. Oh yeah. Well, the, the score was fantastic. So the one thing that John Carpenter has contributed to this new trilogy is the score. I think he worked on it with his son and maybe somebody else, but I listened to the score a couple of times and it's really good. I, I, I really like it. They do a good job of not overdoing, you know, the original theme, 
but they take it and they they do different things with it throughout. So it's it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. So I've got a couple of questions. I want to, you know, if you have anything that you want to end with, then by all means. But I've got a couple of things that I want to throw at you to see kind of where you where you stand with this. So okay, is this the Halloween movie that you wanted? Is this the Halloween movie that I wanted? I guess I I, I would answer that. I guess I would say yes. I'm not really sure what I wanted. I think in retrospect, I might even like this a little bit more than what I quote expected, because I think what I expected was more Laurie versus Michael. Mm-hmm. And and I think if if they gave us Laurie versus Michael with the with us having the forethought that we were getting another third movie, it would have been really fucking boring. Yes. Like no it stakes. Been, there's no stakes been, uh, unless they killed Lori in this movie, right? But but it would have been if that's what we got, it would have been really fucking boring. Yeah. So I I I might have enjoyed this better than what I thought it was going to be. That's awesome. That's exactly the answer I was hoping you would give because you know my first impression was to be angry at this movie for it not being about Lori Strode, and then I thought, well, I know there's going to be a third movie, so what's the point of doing the first movie and the second movie and the third movie all about her? Like it's, it's just, it's not going to work. There's not that much content. So I agree with you a hundred percent. So my next question was going to be, are you okay with Lori not being the focal point of this movie? And I I assume the answer is yes. I I am. I'm pleasantly surprised by it. Again, I, I was assuming that she would be, I'm not quite sure where they go because if I was a betting man, I would still probably say that the third movie is going to return to Lori versus Michael, but I don't think it's going to be because of Michael, if that makes sense. I think it's going to be because Lori pushes that, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I don't think at this point, I don't think Michael gives a shit about Lori. Yeah. Right? That's what they're I, telling us. I right. think. And, and that's, that is a fucking mind fuck. It, it, yeah. If I, it's insane yeah. to, to imagine that. But I mean, imagine that he never gave a shit about her the whole time. She yeah. just happened to be in the way. She's uh, yeah. the one that's obsessing over him. Right. And, and that's why I think this movie is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Because they're really taking this whole thing and turning it on its head. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm really interested by is, so let's just say for argument's sake for a moment that that's the case, that Michael doesn't give a fuck about Lori and, and Lori is obsessed with him. And again, I'm not suggesting that, that she shouldn't be right. Or she is, you know, like she's at fault. That's fine. I would be too. Right. She gets attacked. She, she goes berserk. I get it. So I'm not suggesting that, that her character is wrong in being obsessed with Michael. I'm interested to see how that plays out. I'm interested to see how she gets closure of her character of her arc. I'm also interested in like, I'm still interested, which I don't have an inkling at all of what is motivating Michael. And, and maybe we're not going to get an answer. I mean, we, we may not. That was my it's next entirely... question. What is Michael's motivation? What is he after? I, I we, think that we are, we are going to get that. That's what I do think we're going to You think get. so? Okay. I don't know if it's going to be satisfying. I don't know if it's going to be good, but I do think that they have to give us something like that. He, here's, here's what I will say. Right now, after, at this point, two movies, or I guess three movies of this franchise, right? The 78, the 2018, and then this one. 
I can't come up with something in my mind that will be satisfying. Right. Again, to your point earlier, that's why there are screenwriters that make a gajillion dollars based on the fact that they're kind of going a little bit supernatural and they're kind of, like, I just, I can't, but again, I, th- that's why I go to the movies, right? That's, that's why yeah. I enjoy being told stories. So think, along you know, those same lines, yeah. should they try to explain how or why Michael is evil? This isn't about the motivation of what he's after. This is, this is, I guess, maybe playing more towards the, is he man or is he not? And if he's not man, should they try to explain why? Because we all know what happened in the curse of Michael Myers and the, the thorns and all that right. bullshit. That... So, so here, here's why I will say no. I will say no because I cannot fathom anything that will be acceptable yep. as, a, as, a, as, a, as an answer to that question. That's why. I guess it would be like, and again, I'm not equating these characters at all, and this character is not supernatural, but it would be trying to explain why Hannibal Lecter eats people. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's, like there's, I don't know, right? He's, he's crazy. He's, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that there would be an acceptable answer to that question. Yeah. Again, for me now, and I'll speak out of both sides of my mouth a little bit. If they don't tell us, I'm still going to be angry. Sure. Sure. But, but I don't, I don't know that they can give us something that will be acceptable. So I would say no. It's would interesting rather than, yeah. that you referenced Hannibal Lecter because I thought for sure, because you and I are so much alike and basically share the same juvenile brain, that you were going to say the Joker from The Dark Knight because that's, yeah. that's the thing that makes that character the most brilliant is that they didn't give him a backstory. I mean, they gave him motivation, but they did not give him an origin of any kind and you're talking about Heath you're talking about Heath Ledger's Joker yes yes yeah yeah. because okay. that that was what made it so brilliant is that they they just made it completely innocuous like that there is no reason to assume why he's doing what he's doing or what his motivation is like it's just it's it was so interesting that they didn't give him that backstory that it made everybody try to figure that out for themselves and and maybe they should do that for Michael I don't know it's hard for me to sort of figure out what I want from that because I, I would prefer him to be man versus supernatural. I, See, that's so, what I want. And that's kind of what I felt like they've set the stage for until they got to the end of this movie. I'm like, mm, okay, I can still go along with that. But then you've got to spend the entire next movie telling me why the fuck he can't be killed by bullets and bats to the head. Right. Like that's, and, yeah. and and one movie is probably not enough time to do no it, it's it's not and that's the problem right the the problem is it's like it's gonna have to be almost like and you'll get this reference it's gonna have to be Sith wayfinder levels of bullshit to mm-hmm. to, to explain it away right like like it, it, there's just not gonna be enough screen time these movies have been. It's going to sound silly. Have been set in reality more so than yeah. a Friday the Thirteenth movie or sure. the Freddy, you know. And again, until he yanked that knife out of his head or the back of his neck, we were in reality. And yeah. once he did that, it's like, oh, okay, I guess. 
but yeah, so I, I guess the, the more I, the more I talk through it, I guess I really don't want them to try to explain it. Cause I just don't see how they're going to do it. I don't think so either. I really don't. Yeah. I think that, I think that, yeah, I, there's no point in trying to do that because it's all just going to be fucking goofy. And if they take, if they take this trilogy and make it goofy, I'm going to be so angry. I'm going to shit all over it because they've done such a good job with making it. They took this slasher franchise and gave it some legitimacy, right? Mm -hmm. Which is not something that's easy to do and not something that a nightmare on Elm street could ever do. Probably not something that Friday the 13th could ever do. So like, I want them to just finish well. I want them to, to do something that makes sense and doesn't, dishonor the legacy of what they've done so far you, you know what it's funny that last friday the 13th movie the the michael bay movie that one kind of did it it brought jason back to like he, he wasn't I, I guess what was that a reboot that was a reboot right yeah I think that, so. that one that one was more in the in the realm of reality right it wasn't a very good friday the 13th entry but it was a great horror movie this was like this badass killer that was just going around killing people to keep them away from his pot right you know and, and again there was the there was a, a a sister you know relationship there or whatever but i don't know we're, it's another movie but I, I guess my point though is yeah I, the, the more i talk through this i i i don't i don't think i want to see that i don't i don't want to i don't want to see them try to answer that question a bad explanation is way way worse than no explanation than no I, yep i agree i agree Okay, next question. Is Karen really dead? Is Karen really dead? Karen which is one a, is which Karen one is, is Karen? Is the daughter of Jamie Lee Curtis, the one that gets stabbed at the very end by Michael Myers. Oh, Judy, Judy Greer. Greer. Is no. she really dead? No, she's not. You don't, don't think, think so? You don't think no, they'll commit to that? I don't think no, I don't think so. I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me if she is, because if she is, then that gives that gives the granddaughter some super stakes, right? Both of them. Both, Both of them. them, yeah, yeah. You killed my daughter. You killed my mother, right? So maybe I, I kind of want it to be that way, just because yeah. it'll make everything super intense. Even though we've already established the next movie will take place four years after that. Here's why that four year time lapse I think makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense because the, the whole reason in the universe that that Jamie that uh, Laurie's character was in the hospital was she was injured so so dramatically from her last uh, foray with with yeah. Michael that she really couldn't do a whole lot. In fact, she tried to come out of the hospital and, and she came out for one scene and then just got fucked up even worse and had to yeah, go back. Right? Exactly. So th- this gives her time to heal. If Judy Greer's character is in fact dead, it gives Grandma four years to train up granddaughter to be a supreme badass to go after Michael. That's exactly right? what I was thinking. So like, I, she, so I, yeah, she's going to be like female Rambo, right? Like she's going to be able right. to shoot a bow and arrow. She's going to be able to do all this stuff. She's yeah, going to so want I, to do all that stuff because she's going to be so pissed that her mom was killed by Michael Myers. She's going to be like grandma train me and, right. you know, be this complete militarized weapon, if you will. Yeah. Now do, now do we, how did that Michael was not in custody at the end of this movie, correct? Nope. He was not right. Cause nope. he was, he was, he was surrounded by everybody. And then he had a knife in his back and yep. then he came up and he killed everybody. Okay. He killed everybody. And then he went back to his house. He killed Judy Greer and they stood at the window. And as he's staring out the window, the screen faded to black and that was it. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's, 
I don't know. So I guess the question becomes, is, is he going to be at large for the next four years? Is he going to be, yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, they can explain it away in a, in a pre-scroll if they had to. Um, yeah. I don't know. I guess, I guess maybe now that, now that I talk through it, yeah, maybe, maybe Judy Greer is dead. She might, I guess that makes logically, I think that might make more sense. I think it, because this is the last movie and it's going to have to focus on a smaller subset of characters. Yeah. I think it makes sense to, to whittle down, you know, the primary cast. And I think Judy Greer was a big piece of that. So I, I, I kind of, I mean, nothing against Judy Greer. I hope they do. I hope that that character is not part of this because it's going to give Laurie Strode and her granddaughter that much more motivation to go after Michael and finish the job, which is, yeah kind of what I hope they do. I, I don't want to see any, me personally, I don't want to see an open ending to this next movie. I, I would like for them to finish it. I don't think they do that enough in Hollywood these days, especially with these franchises that have been existing for a long time. I would like to see them finish it. I would like one way or the other, either Lori and everybody dies or Michael dies, one or the other. I would just like to see a definitive end. To what this is because uh, no, I don't think I, I would, Lear Curtis is coming back for any more movies. I, I, I would agree. I, I if I had to put money on it, I would say I would say that we see Michael kill Lori in the next movie, mm -hmm. and then we see the granddaughter kill Michael. Would yeah. would be my guess. But, the, but the granddaughter but again, that, being the last man standing for right, lack of a right. better term. Yeah. Yeah. That that would be my guess. Okay. So my last question here. Yeah. In the echelon of movie slashers, Freddy, Jason, Pinhead, Leatherface, after this movie, has Michael moved up in your ranks at all? Where is Michael in your ranks, and has he moved up? He, well, I'll, I'll let you answer before I do. No, so it's so it's it's a good it's a good question, and it's a valid question. I guess I'll start with the first question. So I, I guess when when you're talking kind of slashers or you're talking we'll, we'll call them horror icons right yeah you've got you've got freddie freddie michael and jason are kind of the, the big three right the holy um, trinity the whole like. right yeah you know the, <laughs> pinhead to me is is not really in that conversation i know he is for a lot of people agreed ghost face you know i think has some really good movies but is not nearly to that point i'm really excited about the next screen movie which but let's talk about the fact real quick as sidebar yeah, I cannot stand the fact that these fucking movies continue to call themselves the same thing as the previous movie. Halloween 2018, yeah. Scream again. Like it, it's, it drives me crazy. Call it Scream 5. Stop calling it Scream. Blame Halloween. Call it Halloween. It just, it drives uh, Halloween is the trendsetter. It's the first horror movie oh. that really put horror movies on the map. And here it is, you know, yeah. doing this all it, it over is, again. Yeah um th that that drives me crazy um who else chucky i guess you could put in that you know in that echelon yeah um yeah, sure I, I guess i have always said and i know that this is going to bum you out freddie is is of those three is the is the third of those three for me really uh yeah he is now he's i i guess he is in terms of dialogue obviously right he's he's far he's the only one that speaks mm -hmm. right i you know i mean but i i guess i i, I guess when I'm when I'm answering this question, I've I've always put Jason at the top because Friday the Thirteenth is overall my favorite franchise. So because of that, Jason has kind of. That being said, I think. I, I guess to answer your question, yes, 
I, I think that these movies have elevated Michael, in my opinion, because a lot of times when I think Michael, again, before 2018 and before this movie, I thought of that really, really shitty version of Michael in like those Curse of Michael Myers, like those mm-hmm. number six, number seven, like the, in the back, the back end of that franchise, which to me are just really kind of almost cosplay versions of yeah. Michael Myers, garbage. right? Pure garbage. They, they are, they are. Um, Michael Myers to me is, is the Michael Myers from 1978. He's the Michael Myers from Halloween 2. And quite frankly, he's the Michael Myers from 2018 and this one. This is the one that I like. And so if we're talking about these three movies, yeah, he's he, I think he's probably ahead of Jason if we're just talking about these three movies. I think that's probably fair. If he's ahead of Jason, then is he your number one? Because you yeah, said yeah. that he probably, is, yeah, he probably is. Yeah, really? he probably is. Yeah, he wow. probably is. Okay. Well, to be fair, um, I think he's had more overall success, right? Because these movies have been you know, Halloween has had movies in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, mm-hmm. H2O was a good movie. Nobody really yeah. talks about that. I think that was a good movie. I really like that one. The yeah. sequel was that shitty Buster Rhymes movie that nobody gives a damn about. Great, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's been consistently the one that has been revisited and seems to have done it right. Elm Street was rebooted. See, Friday it, the 13th yeah. was rebooted. And neither one of those took. Like, I, I think that you kind of like Friday the 13th maybe more than some, but overall, like successfully, like it didn't really, it didn't really take. Now, to be fair, we need to set, you know, all the context here. Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th don't have movies made today because they're still caught up in a lot of legal battles with, right. with naming rights and things yep. like that. So that's that's the reason because after 2018. I expected to see another Elm Street movie. I expected to see another Friday the 13th mm-hmm. because why the fuck not? I mean, after that success, they have to be able to find some writers and some directors that are worth a shit that could try to oh, do yeah. this again. We're going to see more of those movies someday. We just haven't seen them yet. But they, they've they been caught up in legal battles. They can't make more of those movies until the studios that that have you know equity in those franchises figure out what they want to do. Yeah, and, and it, it is a real shame to me that we haven't seen those franchises. Because again, to your point, I thought the last, the last, the reboot Friday the 13th, I thought was a really good horror movie. I thought Freddy versus Jason was amazing. I love that movie. I know that you really enjoyed the 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 uh, the nightmare reboot and and I didn't hate yeah. it. Um, I wouldn't I, say you know, really enjoy, but I will. I would say that. Uh, well, but I but thought it, there were bright spots, but overall, like it was, it was not a success. I don't want to see any sequels to it. Like I'm, I'm done with that. Like, I, I guess my po- my point in saying that though was there's an audience for that character. There's an absolutely. audience. For, there's an audience for Freddy Krueger, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and I guess, I guess the reason, and and this kind of comes full circle. The reason that. I have always really enjoyed Michael is Michael has been set in reality. Quite frankly, that's part of the reason that I really enjoy the screen movies. The screen movies are hundred percent based in reality. There's no supernatural at all. There's, yeah, some that's fair. In, there's some fuckery in terms of like, it's a brother, it's a sister, it's t- multiple kids. It's a cousin, this, that, and the other thing, but that's still based in reality. You know, Chucky obviously is, is there's a lot of supernatural there. Yeah, I, I I guess to come back to your question though, yeah, I think I think these movies have elevated Michael in my mind. 
Yeah, I would agree. I think that he's moved up in my chain as well. I mean, Freddie is probably always going to be near and dear to my heart, but I think the character of Michael Myers, for reasons I'm not sure I can quite explain yet, Jamie Lee Curtis obviously elevates Michael Myers as a character, and that's why it just seems to work for a lot of people. You know what? It, it, it is, but I guess the ironic thing is, if we're to believe this movie, <laughs> right, Jamie Lee Curtis is not the reason that we should care about Michael Myers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is, That's which true. is interesting. They're, you know. they're actively trying to debunk that theory, which yeah. is something that if you told me that's what they were going to do before this movie, I'd have been like, fuck you. I don't want anything to do with this. But they pulled it off in a way that I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm on yeah. board. I'm willing to see where this goes for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, we uh, I, I wasn't quite sure where we were going to go, but uh, this was this was pretty awesome. I was I'm glad that we did this. Yeah, we pulled two solid hours out of uh, <laughs> a Halloween movie, which is apropos for this time of year, I think. So. All right. Well, hey, um, I, I'm not sure when we're going to talk next or what we're going to talk next about, but I would imagine that it'll be uh, something else spooky and scary, seeing as we got a couple weeks left in uh, in the holiday season, the Halloween season. Yes. Uh, in, in, until next time, uh, my name is Chewy. I've been joined once again by Mr. Pip. This has been the 411 from 406. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good evening, folks. Adios.